Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This is Daniel Markin. On today's episode, I have an opportunity to chat with a friend of mine. He's a pastor friend of mine. His name's Brian Hurlbutt. And we're having a discussion about discipleship. He has a new book on discipleship that he's written and he's actually implementing in his church. And so we have a little bit of a discussion on what that looks like to disciple and be discipled well. You know, is it organic or is it structured? What's the balance there? But then also one of the things I find really valuable about this episode is his counsel towards young people in the sense of making sure that you stay in a place long enough that you can really put your roots down into that place. And so I hope you find this episode helpful. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This is Daniel Markin. And today I'm joined by a friend of mine and uh, a distant friend, someone that I've gotten to know over the years. Uh, and almost like a distant mentor because I've been listening to his preaching and connected with him at conferences here and there. But his name's Brian Hurlbutt. He is a good friend of, a, of, of one of my mentors. And uh, I, don't, I won't introduce much more of him, but Brian, hey. good to see you. Good to have you here. Daniel, it's great to be with you, bud. Um, I wanted to just quickly ask you, what are you doing these days? What is your ministry? Because uh, the name Brian Hurlbutt doesn't jump off the charts to a lot of people. You know, I know. You're not, you're not a member of, of the huge evangelical that? circle, or maybe you are under you know a different <laughs> pseudonym or something like that. But uh, Brian, tell yeah. us a little bit about who you are and what your ministry is. Yeah, so, well, I, I thought this might happen because I left the Bible Belt like uh, almost 20 years ago and went to a dirt road off the evangelical highway in the state of Utah, which everybody associates with Latter-day Saints, Mormons, a beautiful place. And I planted a church here uh, 18 and a half years ago and um, have been here since. Uh, did a master's degree in historical theology at Dallas Theological Seminary, and then did doctoral work down under a philosopher named J.P. Moreland. Um, do some writing here and there and some speaking. And uh, yeah, just a local church guy trying to serve the body of Christ here in the state of Utah and, uh, and then do a radio ministry uh, here on the uh, in the northern half of Utah and a little bit southern Idaho, areas like that. Interesting. I didn't know you did that. Radio. What's, what does that radio ministry consist of? Um, well, it's they break up my sermons, so I'm on the radio five days a week, um, 9.30 a.m., 9.30 p.m., uh, KUTR. Uh, we call it the hot a.m., 8.20. And, uh, and then it's also 95.3 FM here. And then I also have a, a podcast and a um, radio show that plays 9.30 on Saturdays here, but then is podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, called Life on the Line where myself and one of our staff members process through areas of uh, like kind of the subtext, like get into, um, we're, we're doing a whole summer series on some of the LGBTQ dynamics, things like that. But then we also talk about like the subtext of life and um, uh, philosophy, life of the mind, theology, and sort of how that interfaces with the local church. I was listening to you guys talk through the problem of evil, not to Oh, okay. Yeah, it was really good, really helpful. So I want to recommend that to our listeners as well. Um, Brian, you know, 
I want to also recommend to our listeners your new book that you have built and or written on discipleship. And then from there, I want to launch into talking about discipleship because, you know, what we're doing in ministry life, um, you know, in the church is about discipleship. Jesus calls us to make disciples. And so I want to hear some of your perspective on that. And as we kind of make our way around that, hear what discipleship looks like when it's done well. And also what bad discipleship looks like in your time in ministry, because, you know, many of us maybe are in churches that are doing things really well. Some of us might be in churches that we don't know that discipleship is being done really poorly. Um, So we'd love to, you know, get some of your wisdom on that very thing. But maybe we just start with this question, which is, what is a disciple? Yeah, so... I think sometimes the the classic response is a disciple is a, a follower of Jesus, right? Um, it, it, and I, I think it, that's a little, it's so generic that it almost doesn't help answer the question in some ways. So I remember years ago, a mentor of mine was the late Charles Ryrie. And and he's he's sort of a famous guy in Christian circles because of the Ryrie Study Bible and things like that. And I asked him, um, he, he had he had a, a great definition of like what a spiritual Christian is, a spiritual man, and he referred to that as a mature yet maturing person. And one of the things I think gets lost in discipleship is we we've sort of created discipleship as a little bit of a hoop that I jump through, and you talk to some Christians and they'll say, well, yeah, I, I've been discipled. And that always makes me super nervous. I don't know what that means. I've been discipled as though it's like a past tense kind of a thing. I went through a course, 101, 201, 301, whatever your basic classes and I or a, a series of studies, as though I've walked through a hoop and I've been discipled and now I've graduated the school of discipleship. So in some ways, uh, a disciple is is a follower of Christ, but it is an intentional follower of Christ who is seeking maturity in the very next steps of whatever that means for them in their life as they're being transformed in the image of Christ. And so as as you walk that road, I, I think the reason I wrote the book, um, and we can talk about the, the approach of the book, is because I have found myself incredibly um, concerned that people tend to think that discipleship in a local church kind of just happens. And I think that's really flawed. There's this whole movement of organic discipleship, and I I don't even know what that means. It's oxymoronic to me. Um, We don't make those disciples organically. Jesus doesn't grow in the soil of fallenness organically. He has to be cultivated. So that's what the target of the book is. And when you think about discipleship, and, and we'll get into the book here, but discipleship is not a quick thing. Like, it's not like a one and done, oh, I've been discipled. I think there's maybe moments of, of seasons we've been discipled by certain people. But I think we need to just kind of from the get-go, like say discipleship is a lifetime of following Jesus. And I think, uh, is it Eugene Peterson who says that it's, it's a slow obedience? A long obedience in the same direction. Yeah. He wrote a book on, he wrote a book on the Psalms of Ascent. Okay, yeah. And he, he used the Psalms of Ascent as a tool for discipleship. And that's what he titled the book. And I... I've shared with people, I think it's the best title of any book I've ever seen. Yeah. That is discipleship, a long obedience in the same direction, which means it's utterly unsexy. Totally. And it, it takes a long time. Uh, just off the get-go too, how would you encourage someone who might be feeling like they kind of feel like they're all over the place? They want to be discipled. They want to be involved in discipleship in a local church, but the circumstances of life um, are just kind of taking them everywhere. 
Yeah, so I think we have to think counterintuitively. So in January, late January, Christian Smith, the uh, sociologist at Notre Dame, gave a lecture at Wheaton that is called Something Shifted. And he's a, he gives a, an entire sociological analysis of how the young adult community in uh, North America has kind of gotten where it's gotten and what is the situation that they're in. And he's just, he's being a diagnostician and that's his role as a sociologist. But as a pastor, the next step is to say, okay, now what do we do about this kind of a thing, right? But one of the artifacts that he brings to the table is what you're highlighting, which is this sense of like displacement where it's so transitory. You can work from anywhere. Your employers now are not loyal to you. So why would you be loyal to them? Like, like you, you can make money different places. Value structures have changed. In the early 70s, the value structure of finding a job, the number one uh, statistical piece was uh, peace and well-being. Uh, now, the number one piece is making money. And so it's completely flipped, right? So it's a much more transient culture. So what do you do out of that? And the answer is, um, it's not rocket science. My counsel to young adults is find a place and stay. That's actually what I think you need to do. You need to find a place and, and let your roots go down because it's the people who, Howard Hendricks, who taught me how to disciple years ago, used to say, it's the people who stay who make a difference in life. And you need to stay in a place because you need to get into the soil of the place to understand the place and to let the place do its work on you. So I came to Utah 18 and a half years ago and I've stayed. Um, there are times I've wanted to leave, but I've stayed. And what I realized is that Utah was probably more for me than I was for Utah. And Utah has had its own discipleship impact on me because the place has had its own chiseling and framing and shaping as I try to live the Christian life in this context. So context has its own shaping. People then come along and shape you. A church comes along and shapes you. But you, you've got to kind of stick long enough for that to happen. So my counsel is like, find a place and stay. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunities because you can work from home. So find a place, find a church, stay there, and you might be able to have your employment working for a company across the country. You might. Um, yeah. So, you know, there's a unique, that's a really unique thing. So, okay. So now talking about the book, you begin to uh, lay out a f like what this could look like, what discipleship could look like uh, in a local church. So what are you proposing that's different than other discipleship models? Yeah. So, a couple of things. I, I'll start by going back to the organic thing. Um, you have to strategize for it. But but then the question is, what, what does that look like? And part of the challenge is that we've sort of created church as a, as a, as a modality in a way where there are these like key pieces that we can't imagine church without. So like, like if you didn't have a church, small groups in your church, you'd feel like you were like somehow failing as a church. And yet, if you rewind in history, small groups are a pretty recent phenomenon it's in new. the modalities of yeah, the church, Sunday school right? is pretty new. Yeah. Yeah. All these kinds of things, adult Bible fellowships, all these kinds of things. So one of the things I want to encourage people to do is like, it, it's okay to sort of step back on the secondary levels. Church needs to have the preaching of the word. It needs to have the communion of the saints. It needs to have the Eucharist. It needs to have baptism. It needs to have the marks of the church of discipline, uh, certain structures, things like that. But then you step back and you say, okay, there's some things we can do here. So what, what I'm proposing is that we would lean in a way against culture in a couple of ways. So one is that we would do a gendered, structured approach to discipleship.
And the reason why I think that's significant is a few. One is, I think it's significant partly because right now we're living in a culture where um, the, the gender piece is just sort of getting flipped up, up upside down. It's almost not even, we don't even want to talk about that. And yet, I think all of us organically recognize that men and women are implicitly different and so forth. And the reality is, as a man, I struggle with things that a woman doesn't struggle with. And the things I struggle with, if I'm in a small group as couples, I'm not going to open up while somebody else's wife is sitting over here about certain things in my life. So I need a context to open that up. So the model is a cohorted model of discipleship. But we say it this way, it's structured, it's gender-based, it's intentional, and it is perpetual. So it's all those things, structured, gender-based, intentional, and perpetual. So it's a model that's scalable where in our church, we have tons of small cohorted groups, men and women, that meet regularly. I put together a curriculum each year, a staff member can put together a curriculum, and that curriculum has buckets. And the buckets are a life of the mind study, a life in the word study, um, a, a, a kind of life of spiritual formation study, and then it has a service component where that group is serving outside of the church to extend themselves in the community, representing the church, but learning how to live on mission together. And so that group then becomes a kind of group that becomes essential for for one another. People don't stay in a church because they know everyone. People stay in a church because they're connected to three, four, five, six, seven people. And as a result, that missional community moves forward in a way that's dynamic. And these curricular buckets then allow them to develop specific key areas of their life together, where then through accountability, prayer, study, fellowship, hanging together, they can grow together in that way. And that man can become a better husband because he's around husbands who are pouring into his life. That wife can become a better wife. That single person can become a better single person as a man, engaging life as a man, engaging life with women, engaging life with old and young and so forth. And so we do it, we do it multi-generationally. We don't slot it according to particular social affinities. We look to say, here's a group and let's get a couple young guys around a couple old guys because we need boulders upstream and the boulders upstream need young people who with vigor and new ideas to pour into them. Yeah. So it allows for cross-pollination. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and I'm really excited about like reading this book now because um, I think you're onto something there. I, I think the intergenerational component is really interesting. You mentioned something about intentionality. What does that mean? Like, is that, you know, what does that mean to be intentional? What does it mean to have intentionality? It means that you look and we ask the question, a couple of questions. One is, what needs to be formed in the life of every person? And as that's being formed, how does that map on to the life of mission in general and the life of the mission of the local church that you're a part of in particular? So for example, um, when I'm formulating curriculum, I'm looking at different books, great books that are written, but I'm also going to say, where are churches at right now? Where do I need to take this thing? Where do I want to go? So like recently, I, I, I began to think, you know, um, and impressed with the fact that as the West grows more secular, as, as the old, what's become sort of like, we always talk about post-modernity, but as it is so baked in that it is just it's just the normative air 
what does that mean for us? And pretty soon it's going to be a completely and on its way to an utterly post-Christian context, right? We're going to be the new Scandinavia soon. And so it's going to be utterly post-Christian. As it becomes utterly post-Christian, what does that mean for the church to live as exiles? So I said, well, I'm going to take our curriculum and I'm going to angle it that way. I'm going to give us studies that deal with how we become attuned to living as exiles. So I snagged a book about being a, a, a sort of uh, evangelism as an exile and began to like process through these kinds of ideas and so forth, right? And as we process through those things, I'm taking the curriculum a particular intentional direction for the mission of our local church. But then as that relates to what needs to happen in the life of each individual um, and moving them a direction, and because we're all in the same curriculum, it allows us in community to be able to have that as sort of a dialogical experience throughout the year. Hmm. And because when I, when I think about intentionality too, I, I like that. I feel like intentionality takes work. Where, where in your model is the organic side of things? Like, do you notice that these guys get together and just hang out? Yeah. Because I know off the top of my head, like if I'm going to, if I want to hang out with some people, I'm not calling up the older guys in my life. I'm probably going to call up my, my, uh, you know, my younger friends, people in my peer group, people my age, right. For, to go out with the guys. Um, but are you noticing that actually oh, yeah. these groups just they just hang out with each other? They watch Sunday football with each other? Yeah, yeah. So like so like here's the thing. It's not that I'm anti-organic. It's that organic is second to non-organic. You only get organic after you've cultivated. So here here's the thing. Community is an affinity. Like we have churches that before you know it, you've got if a church is large enough, it's probably got a a group for left-handed divorcees from Montana who like hiking. And all of a sudden, all the left-handed divorcees from Montana that like hiking get together. Well, it's like, how narrow can you get in the groups? And so now we pick churches based upon whether or not this place has the social affinity group that I like. That's not community. Community is when I sit with people who I organically would not connect with. In surrounding the gospel, we cultivate a connection that then becomes by second nature organic. So I'll give you one day, just a, a, a simple illustration. Um, we have a, a guy in our church who's um, younger. Uh, he's in his mid thirties now, but he entered a discipleship group when he's in his early thirties. He gets in a discipleship group and there's guys of all different ages in there. There's this older guy in there, right? And the two of them end up cultivating a connection Fast forward them being in a group for a couple of few years together, uh, the the older guy retires. Who's the one who champions for all of his older friends? A retirement party throws the whole thing, plans the whole thing, maps it all out, does it all. It's this young guy because they've become past friends who help each other in life now. And the old guy goes over and helps him fix his water heater because he knows how to do it. And the young guy is breathing life in and connecting socially with this older guy. And that's the kind of thing that emerges. And, it, and sometimes it does map onto, you know, two young guys hanging out and all that stuff for sure. But my point is that you end up with relationships that are unexpected because now one guy gets a vision for what it looks like to be godly at 60, even though he's only 30. And that's a beautiful thing when that begins to materialize. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you hear about this all the time in the business world. I don't know how many YouTube, I've, YouTube videos I've seen of like young entrepreneurs who are like, I got to find myself a mentor. You know, find someone who will mentor you and uh, someone older than you who you can ask, 
you know, questions of. And that, and like, it sounds like organically when you're in these groups, that's just kind of the mentorship that comes. Um, and you can ask them questions about things when you're older. I mean, all the questions of me being young and married, it's like I have so many questions for people who've been married for 20 years, right? What are the ways you've been able to be intentional and, and care for your wife in these ways, right? Because they've done it. And that's, that's what makes, makes the counsel so valuable is not just the knowledge, but that experience as well. So as a young adult, as a young adult, if you're hanging and your discipleship is only with other young adults, who's helping you envision what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ in the next stage of your life? Who's giving you the tangible, tactile resources to function in that world? And if the answer is, well, we're reading a few books, that's great. Read some books. But the books aren't able to incarnate for you what that dynamic is. The books don't give you the live interviewed question that you can have. And cohort discipleship, the model that we're proposing and, and have developed and have seen be pretty successful um, and some other churches are picking up, which we're excited about. It's been that that's what it does. Yeah. Well, and that's what Jesus did, right? Yeah. Like he spent three years camping out with guys, walking around, hanging out. They went to um, cities together, they traveled, they would have eaten dinner together you know, conferences, whatever, you know, we're all showing up to the Feast of Booths guys, right? Like we're, That's right. Uh, you know, and spending time together. Like there's things that they are, it's that life on life that's so important. And so, so can I, can I add something to that real quick? Yeah. Please. One, one thing super interesting with that, I start off the book and I, I, I talk about the biblical examples of this. And, and the first example that I cite is um, Jesus but not Jesus just in the disciples, but Jesus in what became known right as the inner circle of disciples. But here's an interesting thing when you study the text. There are three events in Mark's gospel where James, Peter, and John show up with Jesus. There's only there's three, that it's just him and them. And if you study what the three are, it's quite fascinating. So one is the transfiguration where he reveals his person to them, and they get a window into the glory of God. One is when he's in Gethsemane and, and they see him at his most vulnerable in pain. And then the other is when he raises Jairus' daughter. And the only ones in the room are mom, dad, Jesus, and the three. And, and I take from that three things. Jesus shows us that in the intimacy of intentional discipleship, you have personal revelation you have a window into the most vulnerable parts of your painful experience as a human person, and you get a glimpse of what the power of God can actually accomplish and do. And it's a it's beautiful kind of a, a model and structure of how Jesus takes them selectively into those three encounters. Mm. When does discipleship end in the sense of like, uh, I've been in church circles where you have you know, you, you're with someone, but then the idea is like, hey, we're ascending church. You know, we want to do a church plant and we're going to send you to another church. And some of those relationships are end. Like, when do you know if that's the right time for you to be like, you know, maybe someone's listening and they've been at a church for a long time, but now they're sensing like, you know what? I love being here. I love being disciple. I love my, this, this small group I'm a part of, but I feel pulled and called away to go and be a part of this church. You know, and they can't necessarily put, they're like, I can't explain it. Everything make sense for me to stay here, but it's almost like the Lord's, you know, tearing me away from something good. How, what kind of counsel would you give in regards to that? When is it the right time to, to eject from 
one discipleship location into another. Yeah, so the, the last way you phrase that is a key way, right? Discipleship never ends. The venue, the venue might change. So how do you know the venue's changed? Well, a couple of things. Number one is where is your discontent emerging from? Is your and there's a different texture to a divine discontent, and what I'll say is a sort of a fleshly born discontent. You have to be honest and assess that. You have to find, is my discontent missional or is my discontent have to do with my own sinful patterns? And I'm not getting along with people or this place. I don't like this place anymore. Is it preferential? Is that the whole focus? In other words, it's got to be substantive and it's got to be missionally driven. Second thing is, have you sought counsel about being launched? Uh, years ago, I had a friend who moved up to Utah and he... Um, he came to the church, really godly guy. He helps, he's one of the leaders in a, a nationwide ministry now. And he came to our church, his family fellowships in our church, wonderful people. When they came, he shared a story with me that when he was getting ready to leave, um, he went to his, his pastor and asked his pastor to pray about him moving out of state for the sake of mission. Pastor came back and said, I prayed and I don't think now's the right time for you. I sensed the Lord saying no. So he didn't go. A year later, he went back and said, I'm getting a sense again. Asked the guy to pray again. The guy prayed and said, I think it's time for you to go now. The point isn't that you just have one trigger, man. The point is that if wisdom really is in a multitude of counselors, don't be an idiot and not seek a multitude of counselors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bible's telling you what to do. So seek counsel. The third thing is this. God never, I don't think, opens a door well if you close the door behind you poorly. So if you leave a place mad and upset and you did not reconcile and close things up, don't expect the land of discipleship to be fruitful in front of you because it won't be because you're taking you with you and you've got to close the door really well. So I think counsel, I think discerning where discontentment is coming from and making sure you close the door well is really important. Yeah. And by the way, one one quick one quick thing, because this is every young adult. Boy, I wish I I wish I'd heard this when I was a young adult. I always had questions and I've always fielded questions as well about the will of God. Totally. And and here's the thing. Take your Bibles and just do some good study on what the will of God actually is. And here's what you're going to be surprised by. Almost always when the will of God is talked about in scripture, it is not directional, it is moral. Because the issue is not where you are, it's who you are. So whether you are, wherever you go, don't overthink the room on it. Just be godly wherever you go and you'll be in the will of God. Amen. Well, Brian, thank you for your time. We should probably close it up here because we are, I mean, we can keep going. We should have you back on at some point because I do want to talk to you about, you know, some of the context where you are and talk a little bit about what it's like to minister among the Mormons. So maybe that's the title of our, right. our the next episode that we do one day. But uh, again, thank you for your time. Look forward to connecting again soon. Thank you, Daniel. for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. In Doubt is a ministry that exists to engage young people with biblical truth and provide answers for many of today's questions of life, faith, and culture. 
through audio programs, articles, and blogs, InDoubt reaches out to encourage, strengthen, and disciple young adults. To check out all the resources of InDoubt, visit InDoubt.ca in Canada or InDoubt.com in the U.S. Or if you're in a position or share a passion for the ministry of young people, you can support the ongoing mission of engaging a new generation with the truth of the Bible. First, you can pray for this ministry. And second, and if you are able, please consider a financial gift by visiting InDoubt.ca in Canada or InDoubt.com in the U.S. Your gift of any amount is such a blessing and an answer to prayer. Thanks.